This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. Today we're going to be talking about COVID-related movies, specifically movies that are either made directly about COVID or those that are set in the time of the COVID-19 lockdown. We're going to go over a few different movies and Dakota and I will discuss what it is that we think as audience members makes a good COVID movie, essentially. Uh, How to avoid becoming gimmicky, considered opportunistic, and ultimately distasteful. Um, And I just want to clarify, this is obviously a very subjective topic, and this is just what Dakota and I, our personal opinions are. Uh, Your tolerance might be much higher, much lower, or somewhere in between. Um, But just keep that in mind as we go through this discussion. And Dakota and I will also be talking about the future of film post-COVID, as the world gets a little bit better um, as uh, the pandemic hopefully winds down, Um, we're going to be seeing more films. And so we want to have a little discussion about how filmmakers will change their way of storytelling and how they're going to go forward in terms of talking about COVID, if they will at all. So this is a topic that I've been pretty interested in since I saw a British movie called Host, which we'll get into. Um, But Dakota, how about you? Has this been a topic that you've been interested in or is just something that uh, hasn't really been on your radar? Yeah, it has a, a little bit. Uh, earlier last year, right after the, the pandemic had started, I did an episode kind of talking about what me and my guest Royce were sort of watching and catching up on and, and sort of how we were sort of spending our time pandemic-wise. And I guess it was only really a matter of time before movies started coming out. Uh, I'll feel like I'm, I'm going to share a bit more feelings about this later on as we discuss some more different things. But it sort of seems now where when a event would happen, whether it's a localized event or a global event, you know, there'd be 10, 15 years and then a movie would be made looking back on the experiences and, and how everything was shaped afterwards and what was the same and what was different. But it seems to be a bit more of a recent trend in the last 10 or so years where uh, a big event will happen and then almost immediately a movie is put in production. And so I wasn't really thinking about COVID set movies when COVID started. I don't think anyone was. I think everyone was really just more thinking about surviving and what the hell is going on in the world. But like, it really should be of no shock that there was very quickly going to be movies made about this pandemic. I know early on, there were stories about movies in film, movies and, and TV shows trying to get back into production. And so mm-hmm. like the the first big high profile movie was Malcolm and Marie. Right. And of course that has nothing to do with COVID. It was just shot during this time where they used only two actors for the entire film and a very limited crew. And I remember when, when news of this broke out and like the entire list of, of COVID safety protocols that in order for the movie to be, uh, allowed to be filmed they had to follow this very strict set of rules and you're reading like wow that's crazy all the things that they have to do and then sure enough more and more stuff started picking up and we're now basically watching stuff on on tv that was like filmed during the pandemic because tv has a pretty quick turnaround so it's it's not a surprise at all and you know if you watch like i watch top chef and it's interesting anytime they basically leave their their studio uh they have to be wearing masks and so it's like that sort of stark reminder of when this was filmed like sort of time stamps it a little bit so it shouldn't surprise me at all that there there was covid set movies set into production pretty quickly i think what's most interesting is as we're going to kind of talk about the different genres and the different mediums they use to sort of 
illustrate what was going on. And that's what's most interesting to me right now. 100%. Yeah, I think it's, you know, we've had at minimum, I think people had six months of just not going out and not doing anything. Um, and so for a lot of creative people out there in Hollywood and music as well, and like in TV, and I think in all forms of, of, of art, there's been a real shift of of kind of a spurt of creativity, I guess you could call it, um, and different ways of showing your whatever, like showing whatever it is that you're creating. Um, and so we've had movies that were like, before COVID. So the, the computer screen movies, you know, like, uh, um, the John Cho searching, there was a movie called profile that came out a couple of years ago, but it just got released, uh, in North America, which is just set entirely on, um, on, on a computer desktop. And so it was things like that, that I feel like we're going to see a bit more of, I know you watched a documentary, uh, disintegration loops. I think that mm-hmm. was, that was called. Yeah. And that, that was very, that was done almost entirely through zoom. Um, and so I think we are going to see a bit more of that, hopefully in a way that's, that's good. And we talked about this actually in, um, in hot docs, I believe when we were talking about the, uh, one of the documentaries where they didn't have it finished. And then the end back half of it was on zoom. And you, I remember you saying that you found it a bit like not jarring, but it's like, you noticed it, that you noticed that all of Mm -hmm. a sudden they moved to zoom and and we know why you know and it's it's very time stamping and that actually moves really nicely to the first movie um called host hi teddy hi. <laughs> let's do a shot after us okay everyone get in three two one have you ever done anything like this before? I've never done this over Zoom. Obviously, we're not physically together, but there's no reason why Spirit can't communicate over the internet. Nothing's going to happen. Visualise us sitting in a circle. Spirit, we invite you to use us to pass on any communication. Is there anyone there? Please come forth. I know you haven't seen it, um, but it's like a small British film. Uh, that was released pretty early on, actually, in the in in COVID. Now, like relatively speaking, early. So it came out on Shutter, which is a horror streaming service, on July thirtieth. And they talk about how basically within the twelve weeks, it within twelve weeks, sorry, it's like the conception of the idea, and then its release on Shutter. It was all done within twelve weeks. Like it was a very very quick turnaround. Um, this movie is shot entirely over Zoom. It's just a, a group of girls, like a group of girlfriends who are deciding, who are in lockdown in London, um, who've decided that they want to do like a seance and they hire somebody who comes in and does like an online seance and then kind of horror antics ensue. It's a very, very good movie. Uh, I, I really enjoy it. I think if you like horror movies, it's definitely one to check out. It's a pretty short film too. I think it's just under an hour. Um, and the interesting thing here is that it's not about COVID. It's not a movie that it's about COVID, but there are definitely references to COVID. Like one of the girls will cough and then the other girls will be like, ooh, like, do you have it? Like, mm-hmm. do you are do you, maybe she's infected? Um, so those types of things will definitely date the movie. Um, but one thing I thought was interesting, and you talked about that just previously in, in terms of 
um, the mode and the medium that it's being uh, movies are being shot is that all the effects in it, because there's, there is like a supernatural aspect to it. So there's things like flying in the background and objects moving. The entire cast had to set those things up themselves. They had to do their own lighting setups. They had to do their own makeup, hair, like all of that kind of stuff. Um, they did it on their own, which I thought was just really interesting. Um, and seeing this really tiny movie and because there were no movies that had come new movies that came out at that time. Um, so I thought host was just this wonderful, almost capsule of a time without like, a, you know, kind of what I said at the very beginning in the intro of, without being gimmicky. So I know, I know you haven't seen it, but I, I'm assuming you've heard of, you've heard of host and you kind of know the deal behind it. Yeah. It is interesting. I, I had first heard of it when uh, the letterbox podcast did an interview with the I believe it was like the director and someone else involved mm-hmm. on the team. And so it was very interesting because yeah, it, while it was filmed through zoom, it also kind of wasn't because they would set up cameras next to their laptops. Yeah. Uh, and then, so they would basically have zoom running. Uh, so that way they could be in contact with the other cast members and crew members who were silently watching, but not pictured on screen. And then, uh, using like actual film cameras set up to make sure you got like the higher quality images. Obviously, uh, with some of the stuff they did, I believe they did use actual zoom footage to give that sort of grainy look. But also, I think they they added a little bit in post production so that way they would match the the feeling. But yeah, that, that stuff always fascinates me. It really, the story of how they made that really sort of reminds me a bit of like DIY theater, where sort of everyone is involved with doing what they need to bring the project to life. So the idea of uh, using people you live with to help uh, do some of the practical effects or what was done practically and what was done in post and things like that was all very interesting to me and how it was all basically sourced from what they already owned and and all that great stuff. So it's very interesting to, to sort of hear about the creation of it and read a bit about it afterwards. I'm not a huge horror person, especially <laughs> when there's things like ghosts uh, involved with, and, and jump scares and stuff like that. That's really not my forte. I, I watched the trailer. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I didn't watch it. <laughs> like some of the stuff definitely looks a little silly, yeah. but then like, you know, seeing uh, the flower footsteps uh, like that, that would just kind of like make me not sleep. <laughs> <laughs> There were actually some, yeah, in terms of jump scares, like there were some pretty big ones, I have to say. Um, And like without spoiling the movie too, is they use like some features of Zoom, which I thought was in a very, very clever way. Uh, Like, you know how you can kind of record a background for yourself? Like you can, Mm -hmm. you can, so they use that um, and it kind of looks like this weird time loop of the character moving around in the background, but then like other things are going on at the same time. It's a very interesting movie. And and for anybody, like I said, anyone who's into horror movies or you're just curious about it, it's like 56 minutes long. I think like an episode of like a Marvel TV show is about the same thing. So <laughs> I think you can watch it. It's on shutter still, I believe. Um, but it's a, it's a great movie. And it's one of those that I personally didn't, I felt like it it hit that balance of being a movie that it did reference COVID and it's clearly set in the time of COVID, but it doesn't use it as a prop. It doesn't use it as a crutch. Like it's nothing that, um, that it, I guess it kind of needed to be set in COVID in order for it to have been created. But it, it's this, the story itself is very, 
it's very in, 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 in captivating. It's very interesting. And yeah, there, there's some pretty cool horror tropes in it that, you know, I, I personally enjoyed though. I like horror movies, so it's like, it's pretty cool. Um, but an, yeah. yeah, another movie that was set during COVID or during a pandemic, actually, this one's a, it's a little bit different. He, he never actually mentions what the pandemic is or what it's called, um, but it's a movie called In the Earth by Ben Wheatley. He told me his story. These are his memories. Can you feel him now? In the earth. No, I don't know what you mean. I think you do. So what are you working on? Searching ways of making crops more efficient. Funny place to study crops in a forest. We had to send a rescue party in to get a group out a couple of months ago. They got lost. Why didn't they use GPRS? There's no fun reception in there. People get a bit funny in the woods sometimes. I You saw this very recently. Uh, it premiered at Sundance earlier this year. And this was a movie that Wheatley created during COVID. He wrote it and he kind of got all the production developments in. It's a bit of a difficult one to describe what it's about. Um, I know when you asked me what it's about, I didn't, I didn't quite know how to describe it. It's, you know, you have two people who are, uh, two people who are in the middle of a pandemic and they need to go and make an, an equipment run into this forest. And this forest happens to be I don't like to say enchanted, but that's kind of the best word to use to describe it. <laughs> it makes it sound really silly, but like it that that's kind very of, Disney-like. Yeah, I know forest. it's an enchanted forest, but <laughs> you know they they go in and um, there's somebody there who evaded quarantine, basically who has evaded all of the lockdown measures and is living off of the earth in the earth. Eh, this no pen intended, but he's living off the earth and. Um, kind of chaos ensues from there. It's a very kind of psychedelic, um, a very psychedelic uh, aesthetic to it. Um, when this movie was first released, there was the marketing was really behind. It's a pandemic or like it's a COVID thriller. It's a COVID horror movie. You know, they kept saying pan, uh, Ben Wheatley's pandemic thriller. When you watched it, what what sense did you get from this movie in terms of COVID or just a pandemic in general? That's a that's a good question because I think as far as you know what you're talking about with hosts as far as using the pandemic uh as an aid to the storytelling and not necessarily as as a crutch or something that's overused I actually think the movie does a pretty good job with that you know this is not going to be the first uh, global pandemic film, you know, there's there's dozens of movies like this, whether you're talking about stuff like the the 28 Days and Weeks Later movies mm-hmm. or Contagion or I, I'm sure I'm blanking on other ones right now, but like that, that's clearly a bit of a, a subgenre of usually horror-ish films of the world is ravaged by a massive pandemic. And so I think they do a pretty good job setting that up. Uh, and, and more often than not in those types of films, they usually don't say what was the cause? It'll be like, oh, there was a virus that swept the earth. And that's kind of all they say, because then you risk, you know, getting too much into the science mumbo jumbo and how realistic is it and all this sort of stuff. But in this case, you know, when they're like, oh, yeah, and something is spreading across the earth, uh, everything is kind of in lockdown, this, you know, they they, they get to this like um, park ranger outpost mm-hmm. building 
and they have to uh, be sprayed with a, you know, a decontamination spray to, in order to, to get in and they get a little bit of blood work done. We know what all that means and they do the nose swab and all that sort of stuff. We understand what that means in relation to COVID because we either ourselves or know people who did it or we have seen it on the news, stuff like that. All that sort of stuff is very intimately familiar by this point. But the fact that they don't call it COVID, they don't say any specific pandemic, they don't any of any of the science behind what COVID is, they don't really reference any of that other than the fact that you kind of need to be sanitized down and they're going to, you know, uh, check a nose swab, which means that clearly it's an airborne disease sort of thing. So they, they have the hallmarks there. And I think they do a pretty good job of setting up what it is. And then, you know, there's a couple moments when they get into the forest and they, they first meet this, um, I guess we'll call him a homeless character, uh, <laughs> Zach, who you know, one of the first things he says is like, do you mind if I keep my distance? Which is, you know, he understands that these are two people who the fact that they probably are doing this, you know, uh, job that they pass their medical tests and stuff like that. And he's presumably been living alone in a forest for the long period of time that he also has not come in contact with anyone, but it's still just sort of very much of a, a hallmark where right now, like, you know, I've seen some people who have had their, their vaccine and stuff like that. And I'm about to get my shot. And, and it's still very much we're like, uh, you know, I'm not going to high five you. I'm not going to handshake you. I'm not going to give you a hug. I'm just going to be like, you know, nod in your direction. Be like, yeah, it, it is nice to see you sort of thing. Uh, so I, I, I totally get that feeling. Obviously what the actual movie turns into has very little to do with an actual pandemic or anything like that. And, you know, it, it seems to just be a setting up premise, which if you're, you were saying that they were heavily marketing this as Ben Wheatley's pandemic film, which from what I kind of remember when it was coming out at Sundance, I was hearing that too, makes absolutely no sense because it's, it's barely like, I think the only reason why it works as a plot device is to give a reason why there are so few people in the movie. Mm, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really, really good point. I thought, I'll admit, like, so when I went in to watch In the Earth, because of all the marketing behind it, I was already pretty turned off by it, which isn't fair to the movie. Like, I, you shouldn't prejudge it in that way. But we always go into a movie with different expectations or our own biases or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went in being a little annoyed. I was like, seriously? Like, Ben, I really like Ben Wheatley. I'm a big fan of, of a lot of his movies. Um and so I was like, come on, Wheatley, like, what are you doing? I was like, why are you, why are you doing this? Like, why are you making this movie? And it's a pandemic thriller, blah, 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 blah. Like, I was like, in my head, I go, this is beneath you, Ben. Like, come on. I don't, I don't know him. I don't know the man, but I was like, this is beneath you. But then I watched the movie and I was like, oh, this is not really about COVID at all. It's not even about a pandemic, really. Like, like you said, that's an interesting point you say. Like, it gives a good reason as to why there were just, not very many characters there are not many many people in the background even like we don't mm-hmm. see that many people i didn't think about that but it's i i find these kinds of movies it's like when we watch it if you you know for generations that will come after covid who didn't have to live through this i think they'll watch it maybe in a very different with a very different lens, you know, as we, when we watch old movies, like we watch it from a very different lens. But I think that because we're living through this, so even if he doesn't mention COVID, are we kind of imprint that on to the movie anyways? 
Um, mm-hmm. And we've done that with movies like Contagion, which came out years before um, COVID was even a thing. And so now when we will look back on it, like we can't help but find, you know, direct correlations to it, which is also a really interesting, you know, kind of concept of, is it just us? Like, is it not necessarily filmmakers who are taking advantage of a situation um, and trying to manipulate audiences? Is it just us kind of imparting our own experiences onto these movies? Yeah, well, that's almost sort of like the the concept behind like uh, the author doesn't really get to say what their art is actually about. Once it, once it's released to the masses, mm-hmm. the, the public decides what is the actual meaning behind the art where, you know, whether it's a movie, a song or a painting or whatever, the artist can be like, no, it's, it's just this. <laughs> Whereas everyone else goes, well, well, it's actually not really because, you know, the technique that you're using and what you're trying to say and, you know, social context and all this sort of stuff adds so much more layers to it. And suddenly, you know, what should be just a, a simple project piece of art uh, suddenly has so much more meaning behind it. It's interesting. I almost feel like, in the earth feels a bit like the movie Annihilation. Uh-huh. I don't know if you you saw that Natalie Portman film yeah. or not. But uh, you know, a, a plot point in, in In the Earth is that uh, the, these two main people are trying to find uh, basically a remote science laboratory where the scientist has kind of cut off contact, um, and that's sort of similar to Annihilation, where they have to send in a group of people into you know this unknown space in order to gather research to find out what's happening with the other people that have previously gone in and uh you know you can even compare it to like tarkovsky's stalker or something like that where you know that's also not really a, a new story idea of this idea of a mysterious land that needs to be investigated because people are, are going missing or there's some secret power behind it or all this sort of stuff so i feel like wheatley's really drawing on on some of those themes in order to to get his work now it's interesting you actually interviewed him for exclaim um did he share sort of any of his thoughts on how this film is sort of being called, you know, the COVID horror film or COVID film or whatever it's being marketed as? Uh, I actually skirted that issue with him because I didn't know if this was going to be something that he wanted to talk about. But he was very like when I talked to him, I did ask him about COVID related questions, but not necessarily about how his movie was being interpreted. But um, okay. he he gave some really interesting answers of you know how can a filmmaker at this point not have covid something something related to covid affect your work because this is such a like this is quite an experience in that i mean hopefully this is a one time thing for for us um but it's it's very difficult for us to come out of this and be the same people that we were before this you know, there is going to be a before and an after and we've changed as people. And I think we've changed as a society as well of, um, you know, like, like you said, like, oh, do we, do we shake hands? Do we hug? Like even something like that, just, we don't really understand quite yet what the effects are going to be socially. And that was Wheatley's kind of point was everything is different now. Everything has changed now. So when you do a movie, it would be, and in his words, he said, it would be weird to ignore it. It would be weird to be something that you don't address at some point in your movie, for, especially for contemporary movies, um, which in the earth is, I, th- I think I would consider it contemporary. Would you think it's contemporary? Yeah, I, I feel like it's 
it's contemporary in the sense of, you know, they have cell phones, they have, you know, fancy audio gear that they, yeah. they use and scientific equipment, stuff like that. But it also sort of seems like uh, contemporary adjacent where it's not clearly happening during COVID, but it's clearly happening during something like COVID. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you could you could call it contemporary, I guess, in that sense. Yeah, and I, I, I like that. I like that he said that, like it did make me think a bit where, cause I, like I said before, I was very on side of, I don't think we should be using COVID yet. Like, I think it's too soon. I think that, um, you know, people are, this is something that's really affecting people. Like people have lost loved ones. People have lost jobs. People have lost their homes. Like it's really turned the world in, in, into a very odd place all of a sudden. And it's so for, to me for for filmmakers to try to capitalize on it it feels really gross to me but then when he said to me like you know it would be weird to ignore it in a contemporary movie and i thought oh, that's actually very true like it would be very strange mm-hmm. for for you know not just movies like tv shows that were in production before so like shows that um i don't know i think of like is ER still on? I think ER still on. <laughs> or like Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. Like those 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 yeah, kind yeah. of hospital dramas. Like how can they carry on as if nothing happened? You know, you can't because this is something so, you know, so large and so vast that we actually, we really can't ignore it. And so when Wheatley said that, that really made me think. And it really turned my mind, like a little kind of behind the scenes there was I, I had written a review for Exclaim as well about In the Earth. And I sent the draft in and I was a bit, not harsh, but there, there were a couple lines in there that I, I wasn't, um, I expressed that I wasn't very happy about how they were promoting the movie as being this COVID thing. But then after I talked to Wheatley, I, my mind completely changed on it. And I thought like, you know, he isn't, it's not using the situation to his advantage. It's literally like, you can't ignore it. And I, I found that to be yeah. very fascinating. Um, bit to him as as like a creative person yeah and and i guess that that makes complete sense and i guess if we want to actually like sort of talk about the movie for me it in the end it didn't really work for me mm-hmm. i i really appreciate the kind of craziness that it eventually went to with a sort of uh psychedelic music and imagery. Yeah. um it was very very interesting and you know we watched a great uh documentary about folk horror earlier this year mm-hmm. Um, and it's obviously following in that footsteps. I almost feel like it was like taking basically every main, I I hate using the word trope because trope has a a negative connotation, but, um, but (laughs) to put it positively, basically every trope from the folk horror canon and and sort of make it into a film. Like we were watching that documentary and there's so many movies I'd never heard of. And once you start talking about the different cultures and the different time periods that they're inhabiting, uh, I definitely noticed a lot of those themes popping up in In the Earth that Wheatley was also trying to uh, work with himself and, and use that as sort of uh, the framework for the film. And so it was interesting watching that documentary, uh, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, I believe is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, excellent, excellent film. And when it comes out, I hope people will watch it. But it often seemed like he was just sort of like taking those themes and just kind of putting them into the movie and not really doing anything with them. I didn't, I didn't feel really any sort of emotional connection within the earth by the end of it. Like I didn't really care what was happening to any of the main characters. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that, actually. Yeah, I, I didn't have any investment in them. Not that I cared if, like, sounds a bit harsh to say, like, I don't care if they lived or died. Um, but yeah. I truly didn't. Like, I was just kind of like, oh, it's yeah. like, it's just a story. And I thought, oh, it's interesting. I, I, like I said this to you before, I thought the movie for me, was just, it's just fine. Like, it's, it's fine. You know, it's not, a, I wouldn't consider it a bad movie. I wouldn't say it's a particularly yeah. great movie, though. It's just, it's fine. It's there. You know, I think it's just kind of boring, which is almost like I, I kind of regard that as like the, the cardinal sin of movie making is don't be boring. Yeah. And yeah. Like, you know, there was some pretty graphic violence that like really made me kind of turn away, uh, <laughs> especially with the main character's foot. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a, a few really bad scenes where that, where you're just like, Whoa, okay. That's a little too much for me right now. Um, but other than that, yeah, there just wasn't a ton really that I was, you know, I was trying to reach out and connect to something. And I was just like, oh, I, I don't really care in the end. Yeah. Great. They lived. Oh, they died. Oh, great. Who, who cares either way? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think when, when, yeah, I think when, when a movie kind of comes through and then you just, you don't necessarily care too much about the ending of the movie. Um, yeah. Something's wrong. <laughs> Something didn't quite, didn't quite click. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think it's going to be one of those movies. Like I've I've heard it described as like a micro budget horror movie, where it's just kind of mm-hmm. one of those things that was made. You know, it was it was incepted and it was made during COVID, and it's very much so a product of its time. And um, I don't know. I I think it, it's it's a fine movie. I think for people who like big Ben Wheatley fans, maybe it's something to check out. But Otherwise, I don't know. It's probably probably other movies that you can watch. Other movies like Great Transition, Borat's subsequent movie film, um, which <laughs> I completely forgot had COVID-related material to it until you brought it up. And I was like, oh, yeah. they And it, it's like not just a little bit. Like they have a whole song that um, – Am I correct that that song that song didn't get nominated for an Academy Award? It got nominated for something, though. I feel like Obama was a traitor. America, he hater. He belonged inside the jails. <laughs> I ain't lying. It ain't no jokes. Corona is a liberal hoax. Corona is a liberal hoax. Obama. We gotta do inject him with the Wuhan flu. Inject him with the Wuhan flu. Let's hear it. No, it was it was shortlist. It was shortlist. Uh, but it did not crack the final right. five nominees. Um so do you want you want to talk about uh Borat a little bit? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that, that was interesting because I don't think uh Sasha Baron Cohen was planning to make uh, a Borat film specifically about COVID. I think either way it was in production. Uh, and, and I know his reasoning to bring back the Borat character after more than a decade off of the big screen was, you know, what was at first, you know, sort of peeling the thin veneer off of America's we're not racist facade <laughs> where it clearly showed, you know, large swaths of the country are deeply uh, troubled and racist people with abhorrent views in the decade since that they all there was no you know thin veneer covering them they was all completely out in the open especially when you had a, a president who was leading the charge and they were all devout fo- followers of of him and 
repeating the same rhetoric and all that sort of stuff. And and so it went from like a, you know, a wink and a nod, this is what we really mean to, no, we're going to say it straight to your face. And, and so I know that's why Cohen wanted to bring the character back. And right as they were about to do it, that's when sort of COVID hit as well. And it almost worked too perfectly for his narrative. Like a lot of the stuff that Cohen does you look at it and you're like, if you would have scripted this, if this was a scripted narrative program, I would not believe it because he's just, he's just so adept at coming up with scenarios and concepts and having the people that he, I don't want to say ambushes, but you know, uses in his scenes basically fall hook, line and sinker for his uh, almost reassuring comfort of that he's on the same page as them. And when they started incorporating some of the COVID scenes, it was just very interesting. So, you know, he, he ends up staying with these two gentlemen who tell him that, you know, COVID is a hoax created by Hillary Clinton and uh, they don't like wearing masks, but sometimes you have to. Uh, and you can just, you know, um, spray disinfected and it'll go away sort of thing. and and from there it kind of keeps going, keeps going all the way up to the very end when the, the epilogue where, uh, it's revealed that Borat, uh, gave Tom Hanks COVID, which was, <laughs> you know, a, a funny little wink and a nod sort of thing of, of how COVID, you know, really gained mainstream understanding was it really wasn't until Tom Hanks and his wife, Rita Wilson got COVID when they were filming out in Australia. And, and after that was like right when like the, you know, the avalanche sort of started of people really understanding what was happening. So yeah, it was, it was just interesting to kind of, to think back of that movie and, and how the purpose of it was basically a response to Trumpism, uh, and the out in the open, you know, racism, hatred of basically everyone that isn't in their in-group morphed into uh, a film about COVID and how science has become a political issue, a left versus right issue and, and all that sort of stuff where like, it's like, just shut up and put on a mask and try not to go out so much. Like, <laughs> calm down like you know all these people that say oh yeah it'll be gone it'll be gone soon it'll be gone soon it really would have been gone sooner if people had actually listened to that advice it's incredible like thinking back on it it is incredible how how much resistance there was and continues to be against the idea of of putting a mask on and like you said don't go out as much as you used to go out yeah you know, and I like it, I saw somebody put online the other day like this is a bit of a tangent but they they said like um everyone who says lockdowns don't work like people like there's a whole bunch of people who are like lockdowns don't work the reason they don't think lockdowns work is because we haven't actually done a lockdown like we haven't actually been in a proper lockdown like my um I I have a family member who lives over in Singapore and they had a proper lockdown um anybody familiar with Singapore is they're quite a strict country and they're very rule abiding as well. Um, and so they actually, they, they had a proper lockdown and their mandate of wearing a mask, it was the second you step outside of your door, you have to put a mask on. There wasn't any of like, oh, if you're indoors, if you're out like whatever, if you're around people, put it on. It was once you're outside, doesn't matter if you're all by yourself, put a mask on. And their numbers have been very, very low for pretty much the whole time. Like it's not like they spiked at any point. Like their spike is maybe like, like, I don't know, 20 people or something like that. And it's not to make a flipping because I know people have passed away and they did have problems with the, with 
with the foreign workers. But, you know, it, it is interesting when you see a movie like Borat where, and I guess that's the appeal of Borat is that you see like real people. These aren't actors. These are, these are people who are, this is genuinely what they believe in and genuinely how they have viewed not only Donald Trump or, you know, the last four years in America, but how they viewed COVID as, like you said, this weird conspiracy theory that Hillary Clinton and Bill Gates and, you know, 5G and all that kind of stuff. Um, And it's interesting to see that, like, it's real. Like, you know, sometimes we just watch it on, uh, on, on, through the news or whatever. And you kind of think oh, people don't really think that way. And not to say that Borat was meant to be like a serious documentary or anything like that, but he had a very, Sasha Baron Cohen had a very, has a very like unique way about him that gets people to open up and really reveal who they are. And he doesn't, he does ambush. Like I agree with the word ambush, but he does it in a way that it doesn't seem confrontational, like not in like a Michael Moore way, for example. Um, yeah. like it's very, it's a very different way. And he doesn't even do it as like a comedic way. Like I'm not, I, I'll admit, I'm not a huge fan of, I like Sasha Baron Cohen, but like his characters, I'm not a big fan of when he, it's just him being an actor. I think he's phenomenal. Um, but when he does like Ali G and Borat, which I, I understand he is acting as well. Um, for some reason I've never been that taken with those, um, kind of characters that he's done. Uh, but I, I gained a, a quite a new appreciation for him for Borat because I know that a lot of work went into, you know, getting these people to open up and also hiding his own identity because now that people know who Borat is, that was the other thing too because people have to know who he is, right? So did they know mm-hmm. like that this is for a movie? Is this for like comedy? Um, but you know, they all agreed to be in it, so I'm, I'm not sure. Borat is an interesting because it's it's kind of mockumentary style, and again, it doesn't. It's similar to In the Earth, is it? It doesn't focus too much on COVID. Like you said, the premise of the second Borat movie was not meant to be about a virus. It was meant to be about the upcoming election, um, federal election in the United States at the time. That's what the original um, kind of idea was for him. Uh, so him adding in the COVID stuff. I mean, it's the Borat's one of those things that it, it isn't meant to be not, I shouldn't say it's not meant to be taken seriously. Cause I think that he actually ends up showing like a real side of America that people might not, people might not think is real. Um, and so I think Borat, it, it does a really interesting job of highlighting COVID and being a bit of a capsule of, of the virus at that time. Um, and that's pretty different in the way that in the earth is, which is not meant to be a capsule. It's just a movie that happens to be set during a pandemic and it happened to be made during a pandemic. So you can draw your own conclusions there. Um, so now if we turn our attention over to a couple movies that are actually about COVID, uh, 19 specifically, we can start with a movie called Songbird. Curfew is now in effect. All unauthorized citizens must stay indoors. Tensions rise as we enter the 213th week of lockdown. A grim new reality emerges. COVID-23 has mutated. Beginning thermal scan. Thermal scan normal. A horrifying new development today. New data confirms the virus attacks the brain tissue. Whoa, 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 I'm immune. I'm immune. Worldwide 
worldwide death toll rises to over 110 million. All infected Americans are being forced into quarantine camps. Um, which I know you haven't seen, uh, Dakota. Uh, you you know about it though, right? I do. Yes. Okay. So it was released uh, mid December, and the reason I give the release date is just because I think it's important to understand like what the world was looking like when this movie came out. So it was released in mid December, um, and it's by a director named Adam Mason, and it's produced by uh, Jerry Bruckheimer. That's what Jerry Bruckheimer's name is kind of what got people's attention on it. It's an apocalyptic thriller. It's set in 2024 and there's now something called COVID-24. So every single year COVID has mutated into a different strain, into something new and it's become incredibly contagious. People are genuinely locked in their houses. There's a group called what they call munis which are people who are immune to the disease and <laughs> yeah i thought that was really weird but they get um a, a yellow bracelet that they wear to identify themselves as being a quote-unquote muni and there's a something called a q zone um which they send off people who have been infected or potentially infected so if somebody in your household got it all your whole household will be sent to q zone and in q zone you're basically left to die um you're left to just you know and and that whole area has become um a slum and uh, you know a lot of crime happens like a lot of assaults things like that it's an interesting movie. They have some actually really big names um in the film like the Demi Moore is in it uh yeah, sorry, Demi Moore is in it. Craig Robertson, um, Peter Stormare is in it. Uh, Alexandra Daddario is in it. So you've got some some like name brand people. It's an interesting movie because they really focus on this idea of like every morning it's government mandated. So it's set in LA, and so the LA County they require you to do. Um, a test like a screening test on your phone they scan you and they they have the technology in 2024 to detect your temperature um and whether or not you have a fever and so on and so forth and then obviously you kind of have this other storyline of illegal activities are being happened like people are uh selling fake yellow bracelets um so that they can also be considered munis um, and it's a it's a completely desert ridden LA at this point. Like everything has gone to hell um, because nobody has been out and about since 2019. This movie did not get received very well in the in the in the public from audiences and from critics. This was one movie that everybody kind of looked at and said, "This is incredibly gimmicky. This is incredibly opportunistic." And even if you take away COVID. It's not a great movie anyways. Um, For my money, I think I watched it um, maybe about a month ago. And I can understand where people are coming from in terms of it being just not just just a bit lacking in tact. Because if we recall back in December, that was when COVID was pretty bad, actually, especially in the States. Things weren't going very well. around wintertime. And so it did seem very kind of off the mark for a movie to be released that 
these variants were coming out. I say variants because that's what we've been calling the actual variants. They don't call it that in the movie. Um, but this idea that this the, the COVID is mutating and becoming something even stronger and even more deadly was not something I think people were ready to look at. And I think still, like if you released it today, I don't know how many people are going to be receptive to the idea of, oh, so in 2024, like we're still in this kind of thing. Um, so I, I, again, I, Dakota, I know you haven't seen um, Songboard, but Songbird, but based off what I've said and based off things that I'm sure that you've read about it, um, what were your thoughts on that movie? Uh, yeah, I, I watched the the trailer. And I read the plot description on on Wikipedia and, and read some reviews and remembering when it came out, that sort of stuff. Um, also, I think you had said Jerry Bruckheimer, but the name behind it is Michael Bay, which Michael, Michael Bay, already, Bay, sorry. That's all right. Michael Bay already doesn't have the best track record with yeah. the film industry anyways. That's usually a, a giant red flag for most people. Uh, but yeah, you know, other than holy cow, is this plot incredibly convoluted when it's written out? Uh, <laughs> it often, it, it sort of feels like it's a Republican's response to COVID, you know, this, this concept yeah. of we're going to, you know, they're saying you have to stay at home. If you don't stay at home, they're going to take you away to the quarantine camps where you're going to yeah. be left to die and all that sort of stuff. And if you're not wearing a proper mask, they're going to knock down your door and the police are going to get you, which is like, it really sounds like, you know, a, a far right wing conspiracy theory. Every time you're like, no, just please just, Put a mask on and like try not to like go to parties if you can. And like, I get it. You got to go to the grocery store. You can pick up food. You can go to your, you know, your pharmacy, your drugstore, that sort of stuff. Pick up what you need. But like, you, you don't need to be, you know, shopping for a brand new wardrobe or, or all this sort of stuff. Like, you just don't need it right now. Like, especially not with like Amazon at your fingertips and you can get literally anything you want within a day. Like, just chill out, please. Just, <laughs> it's not to, it's not because, uh, of you, it's because of everyone else. Like, just think about someone outside of your own vicinity for once, please. And and this movie just basically sounds like, well, what if all that stuff was true? Yeah, that's you know that's the interesting point of Songbird is that they don't focus very much on the virus. It's not like Contagion, which I actually thought that that's what the movie was going to be more about. Like, I thought it was going to be similar to a Contagion, where they're looking literally just at the virus and that it like runs rampant. I don't know, create zombies or something like that. Like that's what I kind of thought where the movie was going, but then when you watch it and it's literally just about lockdown, it's literally just about the protocols and people breaking them and, you know, you know, should we have them and so on and so forth and kind of feeding into this idea uh, of, you know, freedoms being taken away. It is kind of in a sense, a very, um, very American thing. <laughs> like this was the first American uh, film that basically got released, like that had been created and filmed during COVID. It was the first one, whereas in contrast, Host was the first one to come out in England. Um, so it's interesting to kind of see the the mindset that people had at the time of, you know, Host was, okay, let's just do something on Zoom. I mean, it was a lot earlier to be fair. So there weren't too many lockdown measures at the time or there were, but it wasn't, kind of as ongoing it wasn't as long as as um eventually it got to songbird but it's one that i can understand i think that the criticisms towards it as being a fear-mongering film are very very well deserved um in my opinion i think that it is incredibly kind of distasteful and 
unserving of the people who have worked really hard to try to get us to a, a point that maybe we can open up again, you know, whereas this is more looking at it as they're taking away your freedoms and blah, 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 and all that jazz, whatever. So I, I like, I get where the controversy for Songbird is. I think that I don't think the movie itself, like if you took COVID away, I don't know if it's as bad as people say it. I think that it was literally just a response of, you know, people being really pissed off that it even existed in the first place. Yeah, no, that's, that's completely fair. I think, I think at the end of the day, if your movie is bad, it doesn't matter what sort of, uh, framework it's trying to work under. If it's bad, it's bad. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, so the next movie we're going to talk about and the last movie we're going to talk about, which is one that we've both seen, it's called Lockdown. Not only is everything not okay, nothing is okay. Linda said she was planning to end our thing. Nobody wants to live alone. For two weeks, we are locked together here. You know, you think I'm so happy and normal. No, I, I'd never accuse you of being happy and normal. Because I'm not! I've been furloughed. Now there is literally zero purpose to my life. I'm going to get provisions. We need milk, bread. Wait, how many asses have you got? Piss off. So this is a Doug Lyman movie um, who did Edge of Tomorrow and a bunch of other things, but I just really like Edge of Tomorrow. So I always like to mention that he did that. Um, and it has Chiwetel Ejiofor and Hathaway. It's about a couple who break up just before lockdown it's set in london and because of lockdown they haven't been able to move out they haven't been able to kind of actually properly break up um somewhere along the way there's a bit of a heist uh you know situation <laughs> some, just somewhere along the way it becomes a heist movie um but it's a movie that there's a lot of references to lockdown it is about COVID. Like they do discuss it and they talk about they do touch on things like um people losing their jobs uh, people having a different outlook on their lives. Like, what are they, what are you doing with your life? You know? And um, there, there's a, a lot of that. There's a lot of, um, they even do a scene, which I thought was quite funny, which was like making like applauding and making a bunch of noise for the NHS uh, at, at a certain time to say thank you to all the healthcare workers. Um, what did you think of this movie? It's, it's, I wouldn't call it a romantic comedy, but it is much more lighthearted, I would say than Songbird for sure. Yeah, I, you know, this is another one that I feel like was also kind of poorly marketed. It was marketed as uh, a heist film and you watch the trailer. <laughs> that seems to be what the predominant focus is about Hathaway and Ejiofor robbing um, these diamonds from, is it Harrods? Harrods, yeah. Yeah. And so a, a big fancy department store over in England, kind of like a, a whole Renfrew type of type of thing where rich people shop. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, was, it ended up being so much more relationship-based, and that made the movie kind of pretty slow at times. Like, it, it really took forever to get to this heist aspect of it, which really was like the last half hour or so of a two-hour yeah. movie. But I actually didn't mind it. it. It was very interesting, because I remember when it came out, it was not very well-received, and, and for a subject, we're going to kind of talk a bit more right after this, this idea of, it's a little too soon. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, like I didn't watch Borat right when it came out cause they dropped it like the week before the U S election. And I'm like, there's too much going on right now. I do not yeah. need this sort of anger and stress in my life of watching, 
uh, idiots be racist on a movie right now when literally that's what's happening in real life. I don't need to, to watch it in my entertainment. So it took me several months to actually sit down and watch it. And I'm glad I waited. And I think similarly for this one, where if this movie were to come out in maybe, you know, five, 10 years or something like that, it probably would be a lot more better received, especially if they were able to kind of hone in and fix maybe some of the stuff that was a little superfluous or just didn't really add much to it that they just needed to sort of pad the runtime a little bit. But I think overall, it did a really good job, an interesting job capturing the early time period of COVID. Like, like, yeah, I'm going to be a little bit honest here. Like, I know we're all like, wear a mask and stuff like that. But for me, it sort of felt it wasn't really until about early to mid-April that it was like, no, you need to be wearing a mask at all times when you go out. Like those first couple weeks when lockdown first started, I wasn't wearing a mask in a grocery store. Like uh, there wasn't signs that you had to have one wearing when you go in. A lot of people were wearing them, but not everyone was. I think there was a lot of confusion going on at the time too where – you know, it seemed like every science and regulatory body wasn't really sure what was happening and the governments didn't really want to impose any official restrictions yet. So it was all kind of really up in the air at that point, especially up in, in Canada, where while it was infecting people, it wasn't infecting people at the rate that like we were seeing in China in the United States, in other countries, in like Italy mm-hmm. and Spain, where, you know, they were talking about like, you know, three, 400 dead bodies a day sort of thing. And they just couldn't keep up with, you know, where to put the, these bodies, they had nowhere to store them. And they were just basically rotting out in the open sort of thing. And Canada it's like, well, that's not really happening right now. So what, what, what's happening? We don't really understand. So it's just definitely interesting. There was moments in the film where like they're not wearing a mask and like looking back, I'm like, how are they not wearing a mask? I'm just like, <laughs> well, you know, like that first couple of weeks we weren't really wearing and not everyone was wearing masks or like forgetting it when you leave the house. Like the amount of times I forgot my mask leaving the house because I walk my dog every day and I leave my apartment door, go downstairs to the, my lobby and go outside and be like, oh shit, I was on the elevator without a mask on. <laughs> oh my God, I feel terrible. I hope no one saw me sort of thing. <laughs> But like it was just little moments like that that I really liked. I thought um, it's funny you say that because they they have the scene in the uh, the elevator when they're in Harrods right towards the end, mm-hmm. and I thought it was really funny that like when they're entering Harrods, they both put a mask on, but then when they got in the elevator, they took them off, even though there were other people in the elevator. Yeah, and I was like, what are they doing? And, I, and then I, part of me kind of thought, I wonder if they did that because this is still a movie like this is still a Hollywood movie and you have Anne Hathaway and you have Chiwetel Ejiofor and you want to see their faces. Like, I wasn't sure if that's what, what was part of it. Cause I was like, there's kind of some weird inconsistency with these masks. Like, what? Mm-hmm. but then the way you say it, you're right. Like there were many moments of, we didn't really know um, what the protocol was. And I kind of think we're kind of back in that spot, not so much Canada, but I can see it in the States where because things are opening back up and being, relatively normal again you know when do you wear a mask like do you have to wear a mask do you not have to wear a mask we're kind of back to that um it's kind of a weird cyclical phase that we're back to uh, but i thought lockdown i would agree with you in that i think it's a really it's a it's a well-done capsule of what exactly was going on during lockdown especially in the early stages like you said you know, this idea of every, there was a lot like, you know, this idea of community and, and, and togetherness 
that I feel like we've kind of lost a little bit as the time has gone by. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly early on, that was very strong. Like I, I know that people, you know, where I live, it's been people were very, very patient with one another and very kind of caring towards one another and 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 uh, considerate. And I, that that's kind of gone away, I think, a little bit just because people are a bit tired now. But at the beginning, that was there. So the scenes where, you know, Chuteleji of War, his character goes out into the streets and reads poetry. At the time, that's like, okay, you know, it's in the first lockdown. Sure, that's kind of cute. And it's um, unique. It's like novel. But then imagine if some guy's doing that like every single week for a whole year, you'd probably get a bit annoyed with it. But I think it's interesting that you say, you know, in terms of timing of when you watched it, like when you watch Borat, I watched Lockdown when it first came out. And I wouldn't say I didn't like it, but I was just kind of like, yeah, all right. Like, I get it. Like, you know, there's the toilet paper joke and, Mm -hmm. you know, all those kinds of things. And you're just like, like, I don't know. Are we, are we ready to laugh at this yet? Are we ready to kind of make light about, about all these things? Like, and then I watched it uh, just last night, just to kind of refresh my memory about it. And I have a completely different view of it now. Now I'm just kind of like, yeah, it's actually, it's all right. Like it's, it's, it's a movie that shows, you know, it sh- it's pretty realistic. Not the heist bit, but the rest of it is pretty realistic in terms of how relationships were. And I and thinking about a couple that happens to break up just before lockdown, like that sucks, you know, like breaking up sucks hard enough. But then you have this thing where it's very difficult to find a new apartment. It's very difficult to move out all of a sudden. Um, I found that to be like a pretty compelling storyline um, there. But this was one of those movies that I actually think they did strike a good balance of not being opportunistic about it, not making it a gimmick, but rather, you know, just telling the story of this is how it was at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's a bit of gimmickry to it, but I think they do it in a way that's respectful enough that it makes sense. Like clearly like this is the type of movie that can only be made about sort of COVID, whether it's COVID specifically or pandemic in general, just the way uh, all the the beats kind of play itself out. Whereas in the earth can, you know, I compared it to annihilation, so it could be made at Mm -hmm. any time. And same as host too. You know, if instead of it being everyone is quarantining in their house and they live near each other, well, what happens if one person lives in Canada and one person lives in the US and one person's over in Europe and one person's over in Asia and they do the Zoom seance? Like, the, it still works the exact same. You can still make those same constraints sort of thing. Uh, and then, you know, you can kind of compare it to Songbird, which is like taking everything way out of proportion and, and yeah. blowing it out of control and stuff like that, where it's still very COVID-based, but it's like everyone's worst fears realized sort of thing. I, I feel like Lockdown does have some of those similar gimmicks but they seem to at least treat it with respect like i remember not long after the pandemic started there was from you know from mental health uh professionals and critics uh talking about how the rise of uh things that they're concerned about whether it's you know people's anxiety or depression are going to be exasperated uh or on way more serious and darker notes people that are either in 
abusive relationships or live with an abusive person, whether it's, you know, physical, mental, verbal, however, be that's all going to be worsened so much or people with, uh, you know, addictions, that's going to be made way worse, which they actually kind of touch on this a little bit too. uh, the idea of how to stay sober when you basically completely lost your mind and, and can't do anything and you have nothing to kind of distract you from your sobriety sort of thing. Uh, and so I think they, they kind of do touch on that with this idea of a relationship that, that is falling apart. And the more you're spending, the more time you're spending around someone that you no longer want to be spending time with, uh, the worse it's going to get. The more you're going to resent them and dislike them and all that sort of stuff is, is really sort of uh, pushed to the forefront. And like on the flip side, you know, you're hearing stories about people who met like in the last year who have been quarantined together are now ready to get married. It's, so it's it's either put in an expiry date quicker on relationships or people that are like, no, this is the person I want to be with forever. It's actively sped it up because, you know, you've basically spent, you know, two, three years worth of dating time together in, you know, in eight months because you're seeing each other literally every single day sort of thing. Yeah. And I, that's actually a really nice segue into, you know, kind of the final part of this, which is discussing about where do we think movies are going to go in the future? You know, what kind of stories do we think are going to be told? There are a ton to be told, you know, whether it's talking about mental health, whether it's um, touching on relationships that started out of COVID, uh, ended, strengthened, um, you know, and, and those could be familial relationships, friendships, you know, romantic relationships. Um, and then obviously you got the horror stories you could do. I suppose like a, a like there is a heist movie, like there's a good heist movie that could be found in in a covid thing, but as for you as as someone who obviously really enjoys movies and really likes going to the movies, what kind of are if at all, right? If at all, what kind of stories are you interested in seeing that are related to covid um going forward in the future? It's tough because I feel like this is going to kind of tie in with another point that I know you want to make. I really hate this idea of something's happened. Let's rush it into production to make a movie out of it. I, I really don't mm-hmm. like it. Um, it. It seemed to to really kind of start post nine eleven. There was yeah. a couple movies in particular. There was uh, what was it? United ninety three, and then there mm-hmm. was the World Trade Center and Remember Me, and like a few of them. And they all kind of came within like a couple of years. And that was like even even then, like it was like a two year window. And even then, I was kind of like, wow, this is like way too early to to really be dramatizing that sort of stuff. And then since then, it just really sort of accelerated that process of like. Uh, right after Rob Ford died, a movie went into production about that. I, I don't know if it came out or if it was just like a TV movie or something like that, the one with Damian Lewis. And I'm just like, I have zero interest in that. Or the fact that there's like already several Trump movies in production. I'm like, that yeah. this just does not interest me in the absolute slightest. Like, you need a bit of breathing room between when something happened, whether it's, you know, it's, it's upsetting or, or whatever it is, and let the public to kind of grapple with it and breathe from it and not be on the forefront of their mind in order to be able to revisit it. And, and I feel like there's now such a race. You have to be the first one to get this movie made. Otherwise, what's the point? Well, in reality, you know, especially if it's something that's a bit of a a muddy topic where, you know, there is no 
one story, it's multiple stories, it's multiple perspectives, all this sort of stuff. You kind of need a bit of time to really sort of suss everything out in order to understand what the real story actually is. Like, um, like you talk about, I don't know, war films. Like that's, that's Mm -hmm. kind of a good example. Like you kind of need a bit of breathing time to be able to understand what is the actual after effects? How, how did this affect people, whether the people directly involved or the world at large, how did it affect them? And you need that time in order to really gather with it. And, and with all of these films, because they were shot and released during the pandemic, we don't know what the end is. We don't like, obviously there's never, if you want to get, you know, uh, pedantic, there is no end to anything. Everything is kind of a continuation, but you still need that sort of a bit of a closure in reflection period in order to tell the story. And so, so basically if a movie is, is telling a story about COVID or the pandemic as of right now, I frankly have almost zero interest in it. I don't know about you. That's fair. No, I, I think that's completely fair. I think, you know, so we're we're recording this. This is June 2021. And Canada is just like, you know, we're just opening. And so I'm in Ontario. We're just going to start opening again this coming weekend. Dakota's in BC and they're a bit more open. But like things aren't normal yet. Like we're not back to normal yet. And who knows if we ever will get back to normal. Like that. that's also an entire possibility that, you know, there is no more reverting back to what things used to be, which I actually think is probably the case. Like, I I don't think anybody thinks that, you know, we're going to just go back all of a sudden to 2018, 2019, and things are going to be gung ho again. Um, I do think in terms of my willingness to see COVID movies. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I am, I'm, I'm kind of there and I'm not at the same time. Like, I think it just depends on, on how they're doing like what they're doing it so there there was a uh a mark duplass movie um about him taking language lessons over zoom because he thought during lockdown i'm going to um i'm going to you know learn spanish and i'm going to and then kind of a relationship develops and things like that but i like that kind of a story, I go, yeah, that that's sweet, and that's kind of creative, and I I I like that. Like, I think if we're if I'm going to see a COVID movie, it has to be something a bit more positive. Like, I don't think I want to watch another Songbird. I don't want to see another thing where they go, look how bad this could possibly get. And mm-hmm. you know, I think it's interesting to use COVID and. You know, I I said it earlier of of what Ben Wheatley said, which was we can't go back. Like we are different. We are forever changed by this. Um, And it would be weird to completely ignore this world as being COVID free because we can't ignore it. Not in a contemporary film. Anyways, we can't ignore it. Um, And talking about things like nine 11 and you know, what that did was, I mean, that was incredibly you know, not just in, in the States, I think all around the world, because it, it really affected people. And, and um, actually in that same Ben Wheatley interview, he talked about 9-11. He said, you know, if you look at the movies from the 90s, they're incredibly joyous and happy and and very kind of, you know, like 90s action movies, for example, they're insanely over the top. <laughs> like they're incredibly over the top, but in like the best way possible. And there's a reason for that because people were pretty happy then 
you know, like people were very, you know, you look at movies like can't hardly wait. And like those rom-coms of, of that, you know, of, of that era, it's like everyone was very optimistic. And then nine 11 happens. And that tone in film, I wouldn't say it left completely, but it was different. We weren't seeing an onslaught of, of happy films, happy characters anymore. Things got a lot darker after nine 11. And I don't know if we've really necessarily even recovered from from that darkness like are we so does but does that mean then we go a little bit darker i hope not like because that would be a bit (laughs) depressing um but in terms of like you talked about timing as well like just giving room to breathe giving a moment of that i was looking at that one of the movies you were talking about which was remember me which is that robert pattinson movie and the only i mean spoiler alert if you haven't seen it but like the only reference it made to it was literally at the very very end of the movie when all of a sudden it turns out, hey, it's September 11th, you know, and and he happens to be in the World Trade Center. So we know what's going to happen now. That movie came out in 2010. So you're talking about nearly a decade afterwards. And that mm-hmm. was considered still to be incredibly distasteful. Um, and I think because it was more of, it was using it to manipulate audiences into feeling something different for that character. So I don't like for that movie in particular, like not United 93 and World Trade, uh, but that movie in particular, I feel like I think because it was clearly manipulating audiences, I think that's where people got very, very turned off by it. And I wonder if we're going to feel the same thing with COVID where you don't want to get manipulated. You don't want it to all of a sudden be the twist in a movie that, oh, this was like a day before lockdown. Like this is when all this started to happen kind of thing. So, I mean, maybe, maybe that's the answer for it. And we, we've talked about recession movies as well from, you know, 07, 08, that time period where uh, people's lives were changed as well. You know, a lot of people lost their jobs around that time and people's mental health took, took a real beating as well. And, you know, movies like Up in the Air came out. That was only in 09. And that was received very, very well. It was, it was, um, it was awarded quite heavily. I think it's got a high rating. Like it, it, it's, it's, and it's a great movie. I really like that movie. And then you have movies like The Big Short that come out in 2015, which is many years later. Um, and again, people really loved it because I think that was one that actually explained what happened during the recession or gave people a bit of insight into it. So I don't know, maybe, maybe there is no one answer and there's just, it's just your own preference. Um, Do you think though, we're going to see an onslaught of movies from directors and actors and, and uh, writers um, that have to do with COVID? I, I I would not be shocked in the slightest. Like it, like if you were trying to predict what is going to happen in, in Hollywood, you know, the, the easiest, safest bet is what is the, the easiest story to tell? What is the most <laughs> widely understood story that you can tell? All this sort of stuff. And like, and really, it, it, you know, you know, we're comparing a movies that were like, if you're, if you're talking about the recession, you're talking about movies made by Jason Reitman and, and Adam McKay who, while Reitman, I feel, has, has fallen off significantly, are two very talented filmmakers. And then we're talking about some of these, you know, COVID films. And, you know, you've got uh, one that is produced by Michael Bay. And, and I don't recognize Adam Mason, the director, if he's done anything else, who has a track record of not making very good films other than boom, boom, look at this sort of thing, uh, versus... You know, Doug Lyman, who did Lockdown, well, he's got some misses in his in his career. Overall, is, is a pretty decent director. And then Host, which was uh, a very DIY project by people who actually cared about the craft of, of making a good horror film. 
you, you can start to see a pattern of, hey, talented, actually creative people will make good art and hacks for a lesser term will not make good art sort of thing. And, you know, I think, you know, much in the same way, like I know Sasha Baron Cohen is a very talented artist and, and filmmaker and performer. I didn't really have an interest in watching a movie about the U.S. election right before the U.S. election. It's going to kind of be sort of similarly where you can, you know, if it was announced that, I don't know, Denis Villeneuve was making a COVID movie, I'd be highly skeptical. <laughs> but I love Denis Villeneuve. He's like my favorite director right now. I'm like, well, I'm probably going to end up watching that. And I imagine if Denis Villeneuve wants to make a COVID set movie, it's probably going to be good because he has a track record that suggests that he's going to hire good writers. Uh, he's going to be respectful for, for what he's trying to portray, all this sort of stuff. And it'll work out. So, like, it really, it really all depends on on who is being greenlit and given money to make these sort of films. What would you think about a Tarantino COVID film? See, I I love Tarantino, and you know he probably would. You know, a lot of his stuff is is very. You know, I I would not say it's horror, but like there is that adjacent adjacent aspect to it where he takes elements that you know uh go beyond the scope of what is considered normal and rational and reasonable mm-hmm. and all this sort of stuff and puts it on full display usually in an exploitation style of manner you know if he was to do something like that uh <laughs> i i feel like i would trust him to at least you know how do you go past the point of you know so you, you have songbird which is like hey we're gonna you know uh make everything way more unrealistic well how do you go past that what is the next point after that and i feel like tarantino would be someone that would like take that and then go to the next level beyond of where it then becomes so absurd at the point of like you understand what he is doing with it he likes his alternative like history right so yeah. i mean you look at like uh inglorious bastards uh once upon a time hollywood yeah. He really likes that. So I wonder if he could come up. I mean, he he has this whole thing of I'm going to do 10 movies in my career and he's done yeah. nine now. So maybe the last one is the COVID movie that nobody really wants. But I think enough people would be very curious to watch it. Yeah. Um, I'd be in for a Denis Villeneuve COVID movie. I feel like I, I agree. He's actually he's I completely I'm on with you. He's my favorite director working today. He hasn't made a bad movie yet. So I, I would be. Yeah, I'd be very on board, but you're absolutely correct. It's about the filmmaker and and what what we think that they can bring to this topic. Because um, there are a ton of stories that you know potentially could be incredibly interesting that you could tell now. Um, and you you touched on this about how people just have this you know desire to be first. That everything we have to have it straight away. There's there's no such thing as you know, just, just wait a second, like, give me a second to, to process things. It's just an onslaught of, of media, an onslaught of information that we get these days. Um, and I, I don't, maybe, maybe we're conditioned as an audience to, to take those in, but I, I look at, um, like there, there was the Netflix special that came out not too, uh, long ago, the Bo Burnham, uh, inside. Have you seen that mm-hmm. one yet? Not yet. It is very high on my watch list though. I like like that for me is when I watched that I thought it's a it's a one man show and it's him dealing with covid basically um the way that he's dealt with you know from the lockdowns to you know f- scare mental health issues all of that 
And that's, and I, when I saw that, I thought that's the kind of stuff that I would love to see come out of COVID, like in terms of what types of stories we're going to tell. I would love to see more of those types of things. So just like, how did people deal with it um, and do it in a way that is funny? Like there is some humor to it. And, um, but ultimately it's, it's pretty, I don't know if heartwarming is the right word, but like for me, I, I felt very kind of happy and, and optimistic ish after I watched it. But I love that. Like, I like the idea, like, like host as well. I just think that's the type of creativity that I think is amazing to see, to come out of such a dark time for the entire world. Um, There's a ton of movies that have been made like around the world too. Like I know China has come out with quite a few um, different, different COVID related movies and yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I I'm not sure if, if, they're they're de- I mean I'm not I'm not sure they definitely won't all be winners um but I think that there are some incredibly interesting stories to tell and I'm curious to see what the current filmmakers like the best ones that we have right now see what they do with it um and see what the future filmmakers do of it the ones that were you know stuck away you know the the 20 year olds the teenagers uh the ones that are going to be our next great filmmakers I'd love to see what they're going to do with it as well um, I would take a Chris Nolan like time warp COVID movie. <laughs> that would be fun. Like, yeah, Tenet two could be <laughs> them dealing with COVID. That would be less interesting. understandable dialogue. Hundred percent. Just just a lot of noise <laughs> and just a lot of talking backwards and sideways and frontwards and forth. Like, let's just do that. That'd be amazing. Um, I really enjoyed. It. I thought that this was a really interesting discussion. I'd love to hear from other people who are listening to like what are your opinions about it? If, if there's something, you know, your, your opinions on the movies that have come out um, about COVID or uh, where do you think that the film industry is going to go in terms of storytelling? Um, You know, I I think it's, it's an interesting topic and one that no one really knows the answer to because who knows, like only time is going to tell about this. Yeah. Yeah. I I completely agree. And I I think this is a, a great place to sort of wrap up this conversation. Uh, Rachel, where can when people find you or your work online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's underscore Rachel KH. You can also find me. I have a website, rachelkh.com. Uh, I do contribute to Exclaim um, a bit. So you can kind of go and look at some reviews and some features that I have there. It's exclaim.ca. Uh, and yeah, that's about it. Yeah, and I'll make sure to, to link in the show notes the stuff that you did for In the Earth as well so people can can check that out for themselves as well. But uh, make sure you follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod and let us know uh, your thoughts on the COVID set films and all the, the great stuff that Rachel was just mentioning there. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you could rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts, it will be a huge help for us to grow and find new listeners. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.